Okay, so we're to the political rise and fall of the farmer in the Gilded Age. Now, this is going to be, the time frame is about 1865 to around 1900. Now, we talked about a couple of the different themes of the Gilded Age with industrialization and urbanization, and finally we're getting into agriculture. <clears throat> now, a lot of your farmers are going to lose a lot of ground in this, the new industrial economy in this Gilded Age. They're eventually going to organize into the group, the, the, um, the political group of populism. If we look at around 1880, around 25% of those who were farming did not own their land, own land. Uh, 90% of all African Americans are going to live in the South, and 75% of them are going to be tenant farmers or sharecroppers. <coughs> so they're going to continue to try to look for something outside of agriculture. Alright, so let's start off with the money issue. Now, there's going to be a panic in 1873. There's going to be subsequent depression that's going to go with it. You're going to end up in uh, a lot of deflation during the presidency of Grant from 69 to 77. The western mining states and the farmers are going to seek to introduce silver into the nation's monetary standard. And this was to increase or to create inflation because the the <clears throat> the value of their crops was going down with the deflation so they're starting to lose money uh conservatives are going to fear that inflation and an and they're going to institute deflationary policy so it's like they're they're battling against each other one of these is going to be the Bland Allison Act in seventy three, and it's actually going to cause the depression of the eighteen seventies to get worse. The money issue is going to emerge as the biggest political issue of the eighteen seventies, and it's going to pop up again in the eighteen nineties. Uh, we're going to get new political parties like the Greenback Labor Party in the 70s and the Populist Party in the 90s. And they're going to be dedicated to increasing the money supply by adding this silver, which is what the mining states and the farmers wanted to begin with. Uh, there's going to be a climatic um, election in, six, er, sorry, not 69, 96. Had a little dyslexic moment there. And this is going to ultimately decide the issue as those who are going to advocate the unlimited coinage of silver are going to actually be very defeated. They're going to be soundly defeated here. <clears throat> so it kind of just throws that out the window. Uh, the economic problems are going to continue to plague farmers. They were in perpetual debt. Many will lose their farms through foreclosure. The deflated currency and the, these low food prices I was talking about earlier are going to be one of the chief worries for farmers. We're also going to end up with some natural disasters, so we're going to have freezing temperatures, um, some insect issues, and a lot of diseases that are going to compound this problem. Uh, the government's policies were not in favor of farmers at the time either. Their land was often uh, overvalued, so their property taxes are higher, and these protective tariffs are going to hurt the South because these manufactured product prices are going to end up increasing. The farmers' products were unprotected in this competitive world market. The agricultural-related trusts are going to gouge farmers. So you have a barbed wire trust, the fertilizer trust, the harvester trust, and the railroad trust. And this is going to be those freight rates that we talked about um, a little bit further back when we're talking about industrialization. Farmers were very unrepresented politically, and they were very poorly organized. 
So they're going to end up becoming more involved in politics. They're going to end up becoming more organized in things like the National Grange of the Patrons of Husbandry, also known just as the Grange. And this is going to organize in 67. It's going to provide farmers with social and educational activities. So they're going to have things like picnics and music and lectures. Now, the initial purpose of the Grange was to help reduce the the isolation that a lot of the farmers are going to feel in these very sparsely populated areas. Because remember, a lot of people are moving into urban areas. By 75, the Grange is going to have around 800,000 members. And most of those are going to be in the Midwest and the South because, you know, that's the biggest area for agriculture. Now, eventually, the Grange is going to establish cooperatives for both consumers and producers. So, we're going to get things like grain elevators, and those are used to store excess grain. Uh, we're going to get dairies that will store and process products, cooperative stores to uh, purchase supplies like seed and plows, fertilizer. Uh, politically, the Grange is going to seek to end monopolistic railroad practices that are hurting the farmers with their, you know, really high freight rates. And it's also going to attempt to manufacture harvesting machinery, but this is going to ultimately fail. Uh, Grangers were politically successful in the states of Illinois, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Minnesota. Under this, you're going to get the Granger Laws, and they're going to seek government control over these big big businesses in order to benefit the people instead of the business themselves. Uh, They regulated the railroad rates and the storage fees that are going to be started. They're going to be charged by railroads and the operators of those warehouses and the grain elevators. In 77, there will be one of the landmark cases, Munn versus Illinois. We talked about it a little bit before. That was at Supreme Court where they ruled that uh, private property was subject to government regulation when it was devoted to the public interest. So if the public has an interest in this private property, it can be subject to government regulation. Many of the Granger laws are going to be written badly. They're going to end up being overturned by these higher courts. They're going to be influenced by the wealthy business interest, as per usual. In uh, 86, we get the Wabash case. The court's going to rule that the individual states don't have the right to regulate interstate commerce, and this is going to overturn, overturn the Munn decision, basically. The Supreme Court is going to reverse... Uh, several other cases, and this is going to reduce the Granger influence in state politics. Then we get the Greenback Labor Party. This is going to be a third party. Uh, it's going to emerge in the 70s and combine the inflationary goals of the earlier Greenback supporters with a program for improving conditions for laborers. So you're going to have a money issue of the soft versus hard. And this is going to be one of the biggest political issues of the 70s. In the election of 78, the Greenback Labor Party is going to earn over a million votes and will actually elect 14 members to Congress. In the election of 80, the Greenback Party is going to nominate James B. Weaver, who was a Granger and a Civil War veteran. Weaver is only going to receive around 3% of the total popular vote, and he's going to become the candidate of the Populist Party later in 92. Now, with that Populist Party, we have populism. The Farmers' Alliances in the South... This is going to be, you know, they're going to be formed around 1877, and in the Midwest in 1880 are going to increase this, the voice of the discontented. You're also going to get the Colored Alliance that will form in 89. Now, like the Grangers, 
They're going to sponsor those social activities. They're going to have political action. There's going to be cooperatives. And they're going to have this government regulation continue of the railroads and of manufacturers. The three alliances are going to meet in 1889. And they will have, they will have over 3 million members. Now, they're going to demand free silver and a sub-treasury plan for farmers, and this, is, this would provide cash advances on farmers' future crops. Now, a major demand of the Southern Alliance in 80 had been a sub-treasury plan. The reason for this is farmers had a poor cash flow during much of the year because you only make money after the harvest and after you're selling it. It called for the federal sub-treasury offices alongside warehouses or grain elevators. So the farmers could store grain and the sub-treasury would loan them up to 80% of the value of the crop at, mo you know, really modest interest and fees instead of trying to go all out on them. Now, a lot of, a lot of these, hmm, sorry, many of these are going to be supported or joined by the Knights of Labor. This is going to be due to their similar goals. Uh, the defeat of the sub-treasury scheme in Congress in 90 is going to lead to the alliances taking political matters into their own hands and forming a third party. Now, since the Civil War, the Greenbackers, the Working Men's Parties, the Knights of the Labor Parties, and the Farmers' Alliances are going to see banking interests and trust the Eastern establishment as these monopolistic culprits who exploited both workers and farmers. So the People's Party, the Populist Party, is going to emerge in the the 1890s and this is going to be through the farmers alliance and it's going to be born in topeka kansas it's going to attract recruits from the farmers alliances and the disenfranchised southern whites ignatius Dolany was elected three times to congress and if i said Dolany, i meant donnelly i'm having issues anyway he's going to be a major figure in the populist movement and he was formerly known as a utopian author so he wrote about, you know, like the perfect societies and whatnot. <clears throat> Mary Elise is going to give a lot of speeches in 90. She's going to denounce the Eastern establishment in uh, Wall Street. So basically she said that Kansas should raise less corn and more hell. Uh, Sockless Jerry Simpson, along with the lease, are going to travel to the South to get Southern Alliance support for the populist unity. Tom Watson is going to be elected to Congress in 90. This is going to be where he's going to fight for the sub-treasury plan and fight for populist unity, unity in 92. In 96, he's, been, he's going to become the Democratic Party vice presidential candidate along with William Jennings Bryan. As we continue on with disenfranchisement and anti-black violence. So you had Pitchfork Ben Tillman. He was a Democrat and he used his Southern Alliance influence influence to become the governor of South Carolina and dominate the Democratic Party in that state. Tillman is going to succeed in disenfranchising blacks in the state constitution. There's going to be widespread southern fears of blacks and farmers alliances and this is going to lead to a major push for disenfranchisements in the 1890s and the passage of the dreadful Jim Crow laws because they were dumb. Uh, following South Carolina's lead, southern states are going to limit black suffrage in their state constitutions. Voting restrictions were essentially a ruling class campaign against lower class voters in general, not just African Americans. Now, <clears throat> they were a deliberate attempt by the New South elite. These people are going to be threatened by the populists. Uh, they want to destroy any kind of party opposition, and there's going to be widespread political participation. 
In the 1890s, white Southern hatred toward blacks became almost genocidal. And there's going to be a huge increase in the number of lynchings that will result from this. Now, the election of 1892, the Democrats nom nominated Grover Cleveland, who had been president four years earlier. He was now more conservative than his first term, as his law practice represented wealthy businessmen. Uh, Republicans renominated Benjamin Harrison, who, camp who campaigned for a new protective tariff. The People's Party, or the Populists, are going to nominate General James B. Weaver. Now, the delegates from the Farmers Alliance, the Knights of Labor, the Nationalists, or the Bellamy Clubs, and the Land and Labor Parties are going to meet in Omaha, Nebraska, and create the Omaha Platform, which will be written by Ignatius Donnelly. I said it again. Donnelly. Cannot say that man's right, last name right for anything. Uh, the free and unlimited coinage of silver at a ratio of 16 to 1 to stimulate inflation. They wanted a uh, graduated income tax to redistribute wealth. The government ownership of the telephone, telegraph, and railroads. Uh, the initiative, referendum, and recall, which was your initiative was uh, people of a state place a new proposed law on the ballot. And if it passes, it becomes law. The referendum was the people of the state would place a proposition to overturn an existing law on the ballot, and if it passed, the existing law would be removed, and then recall the people of the state would place a proposition on the ballot to remove an elected official, and if that passed, the official would be removed. They also wanted postal savings banks, and this is going to, would be a safe, safe repository that would be run by the government. They wanted to give government land grants to settlers uh, instead of railroads and this is going to be influenced by henry george they also wanted the direct election of senators meaning that the people would elect senators instead of just like your choice few they campaigned for an eight-hour workday and the sub-treasury plan in this case was not included um, it had been defeated in was really a southern ideal and a lot of southerners didn't support populists due to racial reasons so it wasn't that important for them to continue campaigning for it <clears throat> uh james b weaver is going to be nominated uh, he was a former abolitionist and a general in the union army and he'd been the greenback labor party presidential nominee in 80. the campaign itself would be centered on the protective tariffs there's going to be an epidemic of strikes that are going to damage harrison's presidency Workers are going to refute Harrison's claim that higher tariffs mean higher wages. The Homestead Steel Strike will happen in 1892, and it's going to lead to a loss of thousands of Republican votes. Now, the results of all this. Now, Cleveland is going to defeat Harrison 277 to 145. He becomes the only president in the U.S. history to serve two non-consecutive terms. Now, the populace won over a million votes and 22 electoral, electoral college votes for Weaver. It was one of the few third parties in U.S. history to actually win electoral votes. Support came predominantly from Kansas, Colorado, Idaho, and Nevada. They elected three governors, five U.S. senators, and ten representatives. 1,500 candidates overall were elected to office nationwide. The indebted far or white farmers of the Solid South refused to desert the Democratic Party for fear of losing political power to blacks who were who are going to claim more than a million members in the segregated colors, colored, colored farmers alliance. Now that panic of 1893 and this depression is actually going to last for uh, four years. 
So, up till 97. It's going to be the worst depression of the century. And it's going to be the first large-scale depression in this new urban industrial age. 20% were unemployed in the winter of 93 and 94. And that's going to rival the Great Depression that will come later in the 1930s. It's going to be around 8,000 businesses will collapse within six months. And this is going to include dozens of railroads. Now, the immediate cause ha had to do with the collapse of the stock market, but the long-term causes had to do with the overbuilding of the railroads, the heavy loans to the farmers, and overspeculation, as well as the reduction of the money supply. So, Europeans were gradually withdrawing their capital from the U.S., the free silver ag agitation demanded, sorry, the free silver agitation is going to damage our credit abroad, and the European bankers are going to call in on their loans. There's going to be numerous labor strikes that will disrupt any kind of economic activities. And agricultural depression has, you know, pretty much already existed prior to the panic. Now, there's going to be a federal budget deficit that will result from this. The gold reserves are going to fall below $100 million, And this is regarded as the safe minimum to support about $350 million in outstanding paper money. And in response, Cleveland is going to repeal the Sherman Silver Purchase Act. The Democrat... William Jennings Bryan is going to argue against the repeal, and Cleveland is going to alienate the Democratic civil rights and weaken the party. Now, we're going to have the Morgan Bond transaction. So, by February of 94, the gold reserves had sunk to $41 million. So, you know, we just talked about $100 million being low. Now, we're at 41 The U.S. was now in danger of going off the gold standard. Uh, money would be volatile and unreliable, meaning, you know, it would just kind of... Depending on where you were, you wouldn't really know what your, your dollar would be worth. Uh, international trade would also be crippled due to this. In 95, Cleveland, Cleveland is going to persuade J.P. Morgan and a few other bankers to lend the government. Yes, you heard that right. Lend the government $65 million in gold. Now, the bankers are going to receive a commission of $7 million for this. Half the gold was to be purchased abroad and deposited into the treasury. And the confidence in the nation's finances was restored for a short time. In 94, we get Coxey's Army. That's C-O-X-E-Y. This is going to be the most famous of the industrial armies of the unemployed that came to Washington, D.C. Coxey was a wealthy businessman who curiously sought inflation. Uh, he left the Democratic Party for the Green Greenback Labor Party and later the People's Party or the Populist Party. Uh, his platform included demand for the government to relieve unemployment by an infl inflationary public works program and an increase in the money supply. Him and his 500 followers were arrested in Washington, D.C., uh, oddly enough, for walking on the grass. The Pullman Strike of 1894. We talked about that a little bit back in the industrialization chapter. Eugene V. Debs is going to help organize the American Railway Union strike that will paralyze the nation's transportation. And at the behest of Cleveland, Attorney General Richard Olney is going to send federal troops stating that strikers interfered with the transit of U.S. mail. This is going to be the first time that the government will use an injunction to break a strike. This is also going to increase the worker anger at the government. William Hope Harvey uh, wrote the Coins Financial School in uh, 1894. Coin Harvey, 
this is, you know, this is William Hope, who's also known as Coin, was a fictional character parading as fact. Uh, the little professor overwhelmed bankers and professors of economics with brilliant arguments for free, free silver as an answer to economic problems, and it's going to feed public feelings of national and international conspiracy to elevate gold above silver, especially the crime of 1873. Now, with the election of 1896, this is going to be one of the most important elections since Lincoln. William McKinley, who was an ex-congressman from Ohio, was nominated by the Republicans. McKinley was Marcus Hanna's candidate. Hannah was an iron tycoon who bailed McKinley out of $100,000 of personal debt, so he owed him. Hannah believed the function of government was to aid businesses. He believed that prosperity trickled down to the laborer, which it generally doesn't, and critics lambasted Hannah for this idea, which is basically what I just did. Uh, Hannah is going to raise $3.5 million compared to only 300000 for the Democrats. The Republican platform supported the gold standard but advocated bimetallism, the worldwide gold-silver standard. The, pro pro the proposal was a sham, as other leading nations would have to agree, and they pretty much didn't. Uh, the platform also praised the protective tariff. William Jennings Bryant was the Democratic nominee. The Democrats refused to endorse Cleveland for his silver purchase repeal, the Pullman strike action, and the Morgan bond deal. Remember, this is at the time that a president can have more than two terms. Cleveland left office an extremely unpopular man. <clears throat> Brian, who was a 36-year-old from, ne from Nebraska, was the premier orator of his generation, first politician of his generation to lead a major party as a champion of the poor, and he was influenced by the populist movement. The cross of gold speech given at the Democratic National Convention goes like this. We will answer the demands for a gold standard by saying to them, You shall not press down upon the brow of labor this crown of thorns. You shall not crucify mankind upon a cross of gold. The Democratic platform of free silver, which meant free unlimited coinage of silver, had a ratio of 16 to 1, so 16 ounces of silver to 1 ounce of gold. Silver in a dollar would be worth about 50 cents. Uh, Brian was also nominated by the People's Party, but Brian did not acknowledge the populist nomination early enough, and the campaign became uncertain. Uh, populists were then frozen out as the Democratic Party absorbed their 16 to 1 platform. Now, the campaign itself, Brian is going to force the silver issue to the forefront, forefront despite Hannah wanted to focus on the tariff. Hannah is going to wage a high-pressure campaign against silver and will raise basically the biggest war chest for an election. McKinley is going to remain as, at his Ohio home, waging his front porch campaign. He appealed to middle-class voters and characterized Brian as a threat to their way of life. Uh, McKinley is going to defeat Bryan 271 to 176. He'll win the Northeast and the North, while Bryan will win the South and the West, except for California and Oregon. Now, the most significant election, the reason for this is because this was the last major effort by a major party to win with agrarian votes. Farmers no longer constituted a majority of the American voters, so they weren't really looking at them anymore. Republicans had the White House for 16 consecutive years, 28 of the next 36 years. The diminished voter participation occurred as the Republican Party was seen as a party of the rich, and it was the beginning of the fourth party system. A large population centers determined elections. Farmers were discouraged and less politically active in subsequent elections. African-American rights were abandoned by Republicans. 
as the African-American vote in the South was not important in the 96 election. <clears throat> the 96 election and the Wonderful Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum. So Oz can be used as a parable for the election. In reality, it's pretty much coincidental. Anyway, so the way you can look at it is Dorothy would represent every man of the West, seen as pure and likable. The yellow brick road would be the gold standard. Your silver si silver slippers would be your soft money. No one knows how to use their power. Uh, the scarecrow would be the Midwestern farmer. Uh, they were seen to be stupid but actually had wisdom. The Tin Man was the Eastern Labor that was victimized by the Wicked Witch of the East. The City of Oz was the Eastern Establishment. The Wizard, or McKinley, or perhaps any you know Gilded Age president, who was basically power, powerless to carry out any of their promises. The Cowardly Lion with a big roar and no bite would be Williams Jennings Bryant. Not Bryant, Brian, sorry. The Wicked Witch of the East were the corporations of Eastern Finance. Oz would be an ounce of gold or silver. The flying monkeys uh, would be the plains, <clears throat> plains Indians and plains natives who at one point in time were free but now subdued by the Wicked Witch of the West. The Wicked Witch of the West would be the harsh frontier environment, so the drought and the tornadoes. And then the water would be, you know, that boon that, that, that thwarted the drought or killed the Wicked Witch of the West. Alright, so the legacy of populism. Now, populism is going to fail as a third-party cause, but it had an, in, a political influence for about 25 years after its defeat in the 96 election. The populist ideas are going to carry forward during the progressive era, era of 1900 to 1920. These are going to be the railroad legislation, the graduated income tax, the direct election of senators, the initiative, referendum, and, re and recall, the Postal Savings Banks and Sub-Treasury Plan. The populist ideas were geared to rural life, yet many of its ideas appealed to the urban progressive by 1900. So you started off with populism, which was 1890 to 1896, and then progressivism picked up in 1900 to 1920, and then we got the New Deal in 1933, 1938, and, you know, to try to kind of do something about the Great Depression. All right, so you have three different essays. That will be part of your, you know, just for you to kind of look at and start scratching it out. You also have an essay that is has already been posted that will be due on Monday, and your terms to know will be due on Thursday. Now, those of you who are going to go to the bowling match, remember you need to turn those in first thing Thursday or Wednesday before you leave school. <clears throat> 